All right, guys, this latest episode of the podcast is about technology myths. And these are things, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's countless myths. I actually wanted to focus on a things that drive me crazy. I'll be honest, but all when I hear people say or do them, but also, you know, things that you could do to correct, um, these inaccuracies, like things that could actually make your life better as opposed to what you were previously doing, uh, with, with the myth. Um, and, uh, I'll give you an easy first example. Um, there are still people who think closing apps on a phone will save battery. And actually, if you do some Googling around this topic, the opposite is true. And the reason is, particularly on iPhone, but probably on other phones, when you go to that multitasking screen where you can see your open apps, that app is not actually open it has its state saved in RAM. It's like frozen. I don't know all the technical terminology, but it's not, to my knowledge, consuming CPU. It's not consuming as much power. When you turn it off, you force the app to do a cold, like a fresh restart the next time. And starting and stopping things takes the most power on electronics in general, but on your phone with apps, I know that this is the case. So when you're always reopening apps, that actually is going to shorten your battery life the most. I promise you, if you Google around this topic, you're going to find out that closing apps does not help you any. It just slows you. That's the other thing. When you have to open an app fresh, that, um, cost you time. It takes longer. So anyway, here's something that you could actually do to save your battery. If, if you have an iPhone, um, other phones probably have this too, but I don't know how to get to them on iPhone in your settings under battery, there's a setting called low power mode. And when you do this, your phone lasts, I think they say one to two hours longer. Um, I could easily believe that. I feel like when I turn this on, it, you know, my phone easily lasts the whole day, whereas sometimes it can have difficulty. So I highly recommend. And then on the new iOS 11, you can actually put a button to this into the control center. Now that panel that comes when you slide your thumb up from the bottom of the screen, you can add buttons to that, like the low power mode. And the way you do that is open settings. And I don't know how to get to it. The easiest way is you go to the search bar at the top. So you all go to settings, pull down, a search bubble opens. There's a line where you can enter, you can click, tap on it, and you can start typing, type in control center. In there, there's a bunch of different buttons you can enable or in um, disable, and one of those is low power mode for your battery. I would go ahead and uh, put that in there, and it will uh, definitely save you battery. Here's another myth I wanna debunk. And um, it regards phones, but it also has to do with TVs. And the myth is that resolution matters. And I don't mean to say it doesn't matter at all. But when they do what are called subjective image quality studies, double blind tests, where they show people two TVs or phones or images, just digital images, digital images of any time, any kind people consistently rate 
contrast as being the most important factor to image quality. And there's a reason for this, or there's probably multiple, but one reason is contrast itself is a determiner of resolution. It's a limiter of it. So if you have a lot of pixels, like a high resolution phone, but you don't have a lot of contrast, your eye cannot pick up the fine gradations between those pixels. It won't see as much fine detail. In the same way that if a TV doesn't have contrast or any screen doesn't have contrast, you're not gonna be able to pick up the subtle gradations in the the image content. So um, for all of you out there thinking that the most important thing you can do is at the highest resolution thing that, that you can, it's not true. You wanna get the highest, con- and I'll give you an example, highest contrast. Uh, it turns out that a great way to get a TV on a good price is to use Craigslist. Uh, and I found this out because we were watching Game of Thrones one season. Uh, my friend had these watch parties for the show and he had a great TV. And I was like, dude, where did you get this TV? And it was really nice. It was LED, it was super thin, super bright, whatever. And he said, I got it on Craigslist. I was like, how much? He said 200 bucks. I couldn't believe it because it's like a 55 inch uh, TV. It was, you know, it's one of the better ones I'd seen. So I went and used Craigslist and I said, you know what? Well, actually I just came across the plasma TV and I said, I've always heard they're great because they have the highest contrast or at least, um, they did until OLED came about, but OLED is just, you know, they're like $3,000 right now, the, the, the large ones. Um, so, or even 1500, significantly more than 200, right? So I said, let me go on Craigslist. So I found a plasma brought it home, turned it on. Uh, you know, I tested it at the person's house too, but, um, started playing with it. And, um, the contrast is, is really good on it. What I didn't realize some, you know, checking into it, the TV actually is not a 1080 TV. I, I made a mistake a little bit. I kind of wish I'd look for a 1080 plasma because I only got a 720, but it turns out that that 720 on that plasma, it looks better than my 1080 because the contrast is better. And you, you, while you're watching it, you, you have an experience going, I can't believe this is 720. And I watch things up close is the other thing. So I guess the main point is if you're looking for a good screen, um, contrast is going to be the main, the main determiner. Um, now it is true that Android phones, which tend to have OLED, they have the best contrast levels combined with higher resolution. There's some things that their screens don't do too well, so they make the colors and the the they pump the colors up to where uh, I wouldn't, I still don't like what they're doing in screens. But the the iPhone's about to get OLED, and so the iPhone's going to have that contrast. It's actually a made by Samsung. It's going to be on that new iPhone 10. It looks like iPhone X, but they're they're saying that the X is is just a 10, and um, it's going to have OLED. And that screen's made by Samsung, and but it's going to be a more accurate OLED than Samsung gives out with their own devices, because that's already the case with the Apple LCD screens. So I know that they're not going to start using an inaccurate OLED. Um, but anyway, that's just a little tip for you, and maybe you can use that tip about Craigslist if you're looking for a cheap but large TV, which is what I was looking for. Here's another myth I want to debunk. Um, That HDR TV sets, the HDR spec, is about color. It is not about color. 
it, it kind of is. That's one side benefit. But what it is really about is the TV can get super bright while still having really dark content in the same image. In other words, it's about higher contrast. So HDR TVs have to have a really powerful blacklight, but they still can display dark content in the same image. So they tend to have better contrast. And um, the the TV guys, the guys that work at Best Buy and other places, they don't understand this. Well, a lot of them, they're, they're starting to, but they still like to talk about color. Here's how I know that the main benefit of HDR is not color. Even if I didn't know, even if you don't agree with me that contrast is the main determiner of image quality. The uh, theatrical digital projectors, which is pretty much any theater you're going to go to these days, has a much higher color gamut. That is, it can display more colors than your TV at home can. But when was the last time you came home from the theater going, man, could, did you see all the colors on that screen? And there's a reason for this, which is that humans have quantifiably bad color memory. So if you show a human um, grass, let's say, and then you take the image away you say which color green was that grass and you hold up two different colors of green humans are really bad at remembering which color green it was or any color um and so that's another reason why color is less important than contrast now that's not to say that color doesn't matter at all um it is important because it corresponds to directorial intent so you'll notice sometimes when you're watching like a sad scene or a sad movie, it'll be more blue in color. Or if you're watching something happy, it might be redder in color. Um, and all of that, it turns out that all movies these days are what's called color graded, where the colors you're seeing are not what the camera actually captured. And this is even true of like romantic comedies. This is not it's not a case where it's just fantasy movies or just superhero movies have these different colors. They're doing it even in, you know, family comedies. Okay. And every second is what's called digital color graded. And I saw a good example of this. If you guys remember the movie Revenant, the Revenant with Leo DiCaprio, it's the one he won the best Oscar actor Oscar for finally. Um, it was a movie uh, where he's uh, in the wilderness trying to get revenge on Tom Hardy for killing his son. Um, good movie, and it won Best Cinematography, and that's what it was, I think, probably the best trait of it. The acting, I thought, was, you know, decent. It was, It's not a movie I need to see twice, but it was decent. Anyway, there was an article. It's kind of like how you see those videos that are like, here is the unedited can, uh, mic feed from Adele or Freddie Mercury. Well, this was the unaltered camera negative from the cinematographer of uh, The Revenant. And what was really interesting, interesting is it was super desaturated. I mean, what this video camera was picking up was like black and white. I mean, it had color in it, but it was very faint color, and it was this, like, morning light, and it probably had to do with things he was doing with his lenses. I'm not a photographer, like, letting extra light in or something, or filming in it because they were filming in a forest or something, so he needed to brighten it up, and all that color was added later, and, and this isn't how it looked in the movie, like, 
they showed the side by side how it eventually looked. It didn't look desaturated very much in the movie. So my point is they're doing all kinds of stuff with colors and a lot of it is very effective at creating mood and you're not going to you're not going to be able to appreciate that if your TV is all screwed up. And the way to address this is every TV in the color settings or the video display options somewhere in there, it's going to have a setting called cinema or movie or theater. And it's going to have, um, if it has a color temperature setting, it's going to have warm or cool. You want um, the warmest one and you want the uh, movie setting or you want any setting that corresponds to movie or theater or cinema. And what that's going to do is it's not going to be perfect. People pay hundreds of dollars to have a guy come out to their house to calibrate that. But it's going to get it fairly close. I read reviews of these things, or at least I used to um, when I was shopping. And the reviewer would always say, you know, the TV on the cinema mode was fairly close to accurate out of the box. Um, So that is the tip. And when you do that, it's going to look dimmer. This isn't going to be great if you have during like during the day or if you have a lot of windows or if you have to, like to have a lot of bright lights on. So I would leave it in like standard mode just as long as it's for a bright room. Just as long as it's not on any setting called like vivid or max color. And you definitely don't want the cool colors. You want the warm color settings. Um, and that's going to sound odd. But after you look at it, when you go back to the cool, you're going to say, what the hell is going on? Everything's like kind of too bright and too blue. And that's another reason. So when that you want to, that color can be important. So when light is too blue, like it is on Samsung phones, it's perceived as being brighter to our eye because natural light, which is by the way, how they determined that warm was accurate. The light from the sun is slightly yellow or warm. Um, artificial light is bluer. So things that are videotaped and you want them to look more realistic, you need to have the warm color setting. The cool color setting is actually altering the light. It's choosing a wavelength of light that's different from what the sun produces. All right, let's go back to uh, tech myths that could benefit mom and pop. Um, to debunk them. And so the next one I'm going to pick is uh, that the specs on computers matter. So when uh, when mom and pop are shopping at Best Buy for their college student and the guy is going, or I pick on Best Buy, but I'm sure every store does this. Uh, you know, they say, if you buy this one over here, that's a thousand um, or whatever, you'll get a faster processor, more RAM, all that. Okay, uh, none of that stuff matters for the majority of people. And um, when I say this, I know there are exceptions. If you're an exception, you probably know who you are. And the exceptions would be um, gamers or people doing something very technical in school. And even those people, I find, have some misconceptions about what they actually need. But what I do think you should be focused on, and I can get into the nitty-gritty of that, later in this podcast but what you what mom and pa should get for their kid they should not be walking out of that store with a computer that does not have what's called an ssd or a solid state storage and it's basically a ram hard drive um it is uh it's there's no moving parts in it like an old hard drive so it's faster 
And so this is going to be, for most people, doing student stuff, office stuff, emailing, writing papers. This is going to be the biggest benefit that they could have to their computer, especially for something like a laptop, because it's going to cause that laptop to come out of standby much faster, go to sleep and, and come back and turn on and off much, much faster. Software updates are going to go faster. You can, installing Windows on these things, let's say you have to upgrade, you know, even with Macs, you have to upgrade your whole OS once a year. Uh, installing Mac people don't have to worry about this, but Windows gets these big files because basically every Mac has an SSD now, almost uh, the MacBooks rather. All of them have SSDs, but not all Windows laptops do. But even Windows has these huge patches, these files that come out to update your software, and they take forever on hard drive machines. And it's a royal pain in the ass. But if you get these things called SSDs, that will go so much faster. So will opening and saving documents. If you've ever noticed that your machine stalls when you try to open documents or right before you save them, um, that's called a random write and a random read. And those will go so much faster on an SSD. I'm having to use an office machine recently that doesn't have one and it's painful to go back. And uh, by contrast, you know, this is on a MacBook that's four years old and it's like butter still because of this SSD. It's not because of the processor because the, the office PC I'm using is way faster processor and more RAM. So I want you guys to look and as far as prices, at my local Best Buy and also looking at eBay, you know, there's laptops. I think the lowest one at Best Buy is like 550 with an SSD. And on um, Amazon, you can probably get a Windows laptop with an SSD for like 450. Um, this was when I looked a few months ago. Maybe it's less. Now, if you're able, if you're willing to go Chromebook, you can get them for less. You still want to look. I think Chromebooks are all SSD, but you want to check that. Um, Chromebook, the one fear I have is that your professor, let's say you're a business student and he needs to give, you need to do spreadsheets. I'm still a little worried that the online version of Office, because you can't install programs on a Chromebook, not the traditional way. They're basically web apps where you have to be connected to the internet to use them. Well, a lot of them. Gmail now has an offline mode, but you get my point. They're limited apps. Um, those... Uh, I, I'm worried that they're not going to have all the features that you might need for your classes. Um, uh, somebody, a friend that was buying a, a computer for their daughter had this idea. The The daughter had to do gen ed courses at Santa Fe, which are like your prereqs, like your basic building block courses, English, writing, math, whatever. Um, and she said, let me get the cheapest one. And then when she knows what she wants to major in, then we can get her the better one. And I think that Chromebook would probably be fine for that. Um, but, you know, it is a little risky. And I would anticipate if your kid picks something that's a specialty, definitely programming, anything computer science, definitely anything digital arts, the Chromebook is not going to be useful once they get to that point. Or if they just want to experiment with that. But they are cheap. Here's another one that's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me crazy. And uh, it's, it's a total myth. And the myth is that Flash was the problem with the web. That is a total myth. And here's how I know that's true. If you, and I've talked to engineers about this, okay? If you block Flash on your computer, you're not going to get any performance benefit. It's going to be an... Um, uh, minimal performance benefit, imperceivable. That's the word I was looking for. You're not going to notice it. 
But if you go and block JavaScript, there's studies out there that pages load five times as fast. And the way you can test this yourself is there's Chrome and Firefox extensions. There's called No Scripts on Firefox and Safe Script, I believe, on Chrome. And if you block all JavaScript, the, lo- the web will become instantaneous. Now, there is a double-edged sword to this. In other words, the real problem with speeds on the web was JavaScript. Um, now, Flash did have problems. Flash has security leaks, which uh, risks, rather, which is bad, you know, in aggregate for everybody. Uh, most people weren't affected by those, but if you were, you know, it's bad news. And I don't even know what all those vulnerabilities were. The other thing is, Flash did crash. So everybody who uses Gmail would get that message from time to time. Shockwave Flash has crashed. Uh, but this still annoys me because I actually think like a lot of web players of video now, like Netflix, have all switched to HTML5. It was better in the Flash days. Um, like, I just felt like it had more features, it was faster, it was easier to navigate, etc. And somebody told me, you know, if Netflix wanted to, they could make the new the new web player do everything the Flash one did. Well, either they don't want to, or they don't want to spend it, or building it from scratch is hard. Because Flash was supported. Uh, HTML5, there, there's nobody to call. With Adobe, there was. Uh, and there were, uh, so anyway, and I'm not saying, you know, in the long run, it's probably better Flash is gone. But I think this was a dirty rumor. Now, on the no script and say script thing, you're probably thinking, oh, I can speed my computer up. It does speed your computer up. But the problem is some of the JavaScript that you can block that makes the computer so much faster, you're actually going to want it because it's it's going to prevent you from watching videos but you are going to find out that pages that you like, like legitimate pages, those are some of the worst. So big businesses like CNN or ESPN or Business Insider, whoever, you're going to find out they load like 30 scripts on your computer. A lot of them are tracking scripts because they want to know your browsing behavior to serve you ads. And what that's doing is it's pulling your, your, your cookies to find out your browsing behavior. And it's doing this like every four seconds. Or they want to know how deep did you scroll down on the page? Or did you paste anything? Or how long you viewed the, you know, just everything you could imagine they want to, they're trying to figure out. And um, so one way to block the ones that you don't want and not the ones that allow you to do things like watch the videos that you want to watch are, um, again, even on legitimate sites. So if you block all the scripts on CNN or, or Business Insider, you won't be able to watch a thing until you enable some of their tracking scripts, unfortunately. One of the, there's a program, there's programs though that know which scripts to block and which you shouldn't block to not break the web. And those are ad blockers. Um, the one that I use tends to be, it's called Ghostery. Um, but again, it, it's, it doesn't block, it, it can speed things up a little, but it doesn't block. You're not going to get that tremendous performance improvement for just blocking all the JavaScript out there, unfortunately. But again, that some people I know have gotten really like, for instance, they find out through trial and error what they can block and not. Maybe that'll work for you. So anyway, on Chrome, I believe it's called Safe Scripts if you want to try this. All right, so we got a few more tech myths to do. Um, the next one is, uh, you know, it's also nerdy and speaks to things I'm interested in. Um, I'm going to say, you know, something controversial. 
uh, video doesn't matter. And by that, what I mean is, it, in terms of emotional response, it matters far less than the sound. And so you might say, well, then am I saying that everybody should invest in a bunch of speakers? And I don't think so. And here's why. Um, I had an experience uh, a while ago that makes it so that spending a lot of money on speakers is, uh, I realized it can be a waste. And so this was what happened. Um, there's a magazine I read called uh, Widescreen Review. And the editor, Gary Reber, is like a former jazz uh, producer. And um, he's also been a city planner. He's done a ton of cool things. But this magazine is the one that like installers read. Um, and they review like the best of the best stuff, like stuff that costs like $100,000, among other things. You know, they do the gamut. Um, well, they had a proposition or they have like a, uh, something they recommend that everybody do. They call it holosonic surround. And this is how you can do it, um, you know, if you have the, the ability. You take uh, four speakers. That's right. I said four, not five. I'll explain. And you put them around you in a semicircle. These are like at your home theater. You put them around you in a perfect semicircle. And when I say perfect, I mean like there are four corners. The, the words they use are equidistant and equiangular. And you want them at equal heights. And there's a reason for this, and, and, and I'll get to that. But um, the way that I was able to do this was I got like some computer surround sound speakers for like $100, $125 or something. And I did pretty much what this guy was suggesting because, you know, they were around my desk. So I didn't need a ton of space, which is the main problem with all this. But you put them around you, each one is equal distance to you, and they're like opposite each other. So they make like four corners of a square. Um, but really it's a, it's a circle because they have to be equal angles around you. And you know, uh, this was slightly rough, but it was still like points of a square. It was not like what most people do, which is where they got two right next to their head at their couch. And then they got two way far off in the distance and those are on their sides, not behind them. And then they got two way off in the distance. You need one to your back, right? like 45 degrees away from the, the center line of your body. One to your back left. So like corners, not sides. And then you want two diagonally to your left and diagonally to your right. So, you know, it, your body should be at the center of the square that these speakers make. And it needs to be a, as close to a square as you can get it. And then equal height. And then you, you connect them as normal. You know, subwoofer, you can follow normal protocols for subwoofer placement. When you do this, you will realize that it, you have never heard surround sound before until you heard this. And it's even with shitty speakers I use. My shitty speakers, it was a better experience than the best speakers I've ever heard in a theater. When somebody drops something in a movie, it's like it dropped on the floor in front of you. It's like the ambience is better. The things running past you, it's like they really run through you okay um and the reason for this is speakers are designed to place objects in a cone in front of them and they can only place them within that cone effectively they the companies try to do other things so in other words if that cone if you're if the listener's outside of that cone it's not going to sound right and even more than that 
speakers, even though it's a cone, they have something called a sweet spot. So it's really at the center of that cone, like a straight line between you and the woofer, that like the center of the speaker, that you are going to hear the most correct positioning of sounds. And so you probably guessed this, since all the speakers have a sweet spot, if you're not in the sweet spot of all of them, then you're not correctly hearing each speaker. And this is the laws of physics. They can't, there's no speaker that they figured out how to get out of this with. Um, okay. So this is amazing. And this is true surround. When I've listened to surround, even at the theater and at other people's homes, it's like sometimes the stuff sounds like it's correctly positioned. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it sounds the way it's supposed to be. Like we all know what like a gun firing when these speakers are off axis, which is when you're not in the sweet spot, that's when things sound their worst, okay? So a sound from the front speakers, a lot of times it will sound good because people have those aimed properly. But then when it's the side speakers or the one behind them, basically the, the surround speakers, they rarely are ever pointed at the, the listener. And then you go, well, you can only have one person between the sweet spot of all four speakers, Anthony. Well, usually only one person cares usually you're not watching stuff with a huge group of people so even if that sweet spot is you know in the center between two people it can still sound pretty good and then you know what if your guests aren't in the sweet spot they'll live but at least you get to have the best experience for the money you spent and now you're probably asking me why um, am I saying four speakers so the center channel is a compromise. The center channel is a, is, a, is a speaker that goes under the TV where all the voices go. Now, this, has, this should immediately sort of ring bells to you. If somebody's standing to your left, why would you want that speaker, why would you want voices to your left and your right all to be in that center speaker? The answer is you don't, okay? When the center speaker was created, so that somebody sitting to the side of a large theater, that the voices still sounded like they were coming from the screen. But when you're seated in the sweet spot directly in front of the screen, you won't be confused about where the voices came from. It won't sound weird. And then further, if it's just coming from the left and right speakers, and then further when you do this, if you don't believe me on anything I'm saying, just try this. When you do this, what you find out is, it expands the front sound stage so it actually sounds like the voices are truly coming from the left and the right. Center channels have a tendency to make things sound mono. And you may go, oh, well, mine doesn't do that. Anything. Just try it. Just try it and prove me wrong. Disconnect your center speaker. Most receivers will know what to do with the voices. They'll put them in the left and right channel. And you will probably, at least if your speakers are arrayed, especially if they're arrayed how I'm saying, but even if they're not, you're probably going to agree with me that the center channel makes things sound worse. And you don't lose any information. The speaker knows what to do if it doesn't have a center channel, or the receiver, rather. So anyway, why do I say that you shouldn't even bother? So... Once you realize what surround sound is supposed to sound like, which is what I'm talking about, because this is so, this is close to what the Dolby and the THX people recommend anyway. They have some compromise recommendations, but they tend to want them at this, like the hands of a clock. That's what this is more like versus the weird configurations where one speaker's 10 feet away and the ones next to you are two feet away. 
the um, and you can't. People think you can correct the timing. Oh, because there's setup asks you how close is that speaker, and they, it cannot correct the fact that that speaker is designed to create a sweet spot, a certain amount of feet from it. And you should actually, technically, you're supposed to. The magazine recommends that you read what, the, find out what the sweet spot of your speakers is. But you don't even need to know that because I didn't even bother looking that up, and I still got a superior experience by arraying these speakers this way to anything I've ever heard anywhere. Okay, um, and so immediately when I recommend this, this is why I say don't bother. 99% of wives and girlfriends are not going to allow you to do this. And the reason is they don't want speakers standing in the middle of the, the first of all, you're going to have to, your couch won't be able to be at the wall. You can't do that. And then the wife won't want, well, a lot of guys too. I know guys that are not going to be willing to do this. They're not going to want, um, they're not going to want uh, a wire running across their living room. Even though there's things technically you can do to hide it. Not everybody has the ability to put speakers wherever they want. But I'm just telling you, I'm recommending this because if you do this, you're going to realize, you're going to be blown away. You're going to believe sound is the most important factor you can have because sound comes into the room. It's very emotional when it's done right. And it's going to feel like three-dimensional. It's really going to feel like you're in the world of the movie that just having a good image doesn't achieve because you still you still will know that you're in your room but this tricks your brain all right we just got a few more and i'll try to do them quickly um these are just finishing up like home theater tv ones uh a myth that a lot of people believe is that 120 hertz 240 hertz that that's good no it's not and the first thing you should immediately do, I, recently the directors of Stranger Things came out and said that you should do this. You should immediately turn that stuff off on your TV. So if you find anything in your TV settings referring to like pro motion, uh, uh, fluid motion, 120 hertz, immediately turn it off because what it does is it creates a soap opera effect because soap operas are filmed at this higher frame rate so everything looks more fluid but that's not how movies are made. And so when you see movies like this, it's gonna look fake to your brain and it's it's gonna feel like everything's on a sound stage and that's not a good thing and it's not what they intended. And I'll tell you something else. I read a review, The Hobbit was one of the first major motion pictures filmed at 48 frames. In other words, 48 hertz. And people said that only um, the guy that played Bilbo and Gandalf's performance were up to the challenge. And I think they're right. Um, when you add more frames like that I think the acting needs to be more fluid in order to be convincing I think it makes a big difference and I don't think we're there yet and I think that you should trust the director to know if the, if you know his team is ready to do that and there are no movies being done this way other than the Hobbit movies and even those I saw those in the normal 24 frames and I saw them in the 48 frames and the 24 was better the better experience um, the graphics were less intense, but it was a better movie that way. So definitely turn that off immediately. Here's another one. You probably think that sitting, uh, it doesn't matter where you sit in the theater. Like I posted that you should sit, you know, middle of the theater. And, and a lot of people said, no, back of the theater is best. Um, that's incorrect uh thx study thx has done studies thx was a company that designs theaters that george lucas started and um they still design theaters in america 
And they have done, again, subjective viewing research where they ask people what the best experience was and they find that the best experience is a certain distance from, from the theater and that distance corresponds to about middle of the theater, like halfway of the theater. And the way that they... Uh, and the way you, and it, they they actually implemented this. So theaters in America are designed this way. The best experience is middle, and middle doesn't mean middle of the back. So a lot of theaters have like a section behind the disabled seating, that's like almost like ramps up. No, that doesn't mean middle of that. It's more like the front of that, and it's actually probably even closer than that because that's actually that's the, at least in my town, all the theaters here, the disabled seating is actually the the actual middle. So you want to sit close to that front of the back section. Now back to computers to finish up. Um, a lot of gamers think that RAM matters. I just heard a streamer saying he upgraded to 64 megs of RAM. Yeah, 64 gigabytes rather, 64 gigs. Now to give you an idea, most computers today are coming with eight, maybe even four. Now. There may be something streamers are doing, maybe something with video capture I don't know about. I, I have a hard time believing it needs, you know, 8x the RAM that everybody else, even gamers, get away with. Um, I'll tell you, I've actually seen benchmarks, okay? You can Google this and you can look up benchmarks. You can even watch video of comparisons between things like 4, 8, and 16 gigs of RAM. It was a couple years ago the last time I did this. But there was basically no difference in gameplay in most games between 4 and 8 gigs. And then today, 8 gigs is probably the sweet spot. 16, um, again, check the benchmarks. You probably, even for gamers and high-end people, you probably don't need this. All that RAM, video editors need it. And uh, people doing uh, statistical work need it to hold basically these giant spreadsheets. Basically, there's some people that know they need it. And actually people that think they need it they may be incorrect because you know there's only so big that photoshop files get it so definitely check benchmarks and don't waste your money all right um another one this could help a lot of people um there's a myth that router speeds matter uh that i can tell they don't the only time they matter is if you know that you need to transfer a lot of data between computers on your wi-fi network the reason it doesn't matter for downloading is that your download speed is going to be determined by your cable provider. And unless you have like gigabit internet or fiber or, and even on fiber, you're probably not going to exceed the speeds that your router can do. Now, you know, check my math if you're concerned about this. What does matter, at least coming to my attention matters, are two things. Um, one, so I was having a lot of trouble um, over the course of a year having to reset my router a lot. And then I called one time, and this most recent time, I got a really good customer support tech. And he told me, oh, that's a Netgear? And he may not even have been supposed to do this, but he said, yeah, oh, okay, so let me look. This. So Netgear, the best settings are this. And he's like, you want to have it on channel whatever because it was on automatic and so it was trying to switch. He's like, you want to have it on this security protocol? You want to have it on this? Okay, since I've done that, we went from having to call and I went from having to reset my router once a month to it's been like six months and I have not had to reset it. So look up optimal settings for your router and uh, see if that helps you if you have that problem. And another thing I think may help with routers is the brand and quality of the router and in particular so I had a crazy experience recently um, 
my dad has an office and there was internet problems there. You know, there's just no signal. And so my first thought was, oh, well, let's reset the router. And I realized I don't know where the router is. And it's because I had reset something before, but I had reset the modem. Let me explain. What this means is in six years, no one has had to reset this router. And it's not because business internet is better. It is apparently better, but you'd still think there would be what's called packet loss on that router and that router would have to be reset like anything else. We have not had to, I didn't even know after six years where this router was and nobody else that worked there knew where it was either. The only way I found out was by calling and they had me look around and I finally found it. My point is this, that router type was a Cisco router. And Cisco is known as an enterprise router. In other words, they build it for big corporations. So I think what was going on is the reason why we've had, or at least one reason why we've had so few problems with the internet at that office, still on Cox, okay, which is who I have all kinds of problems with elsewhere and plenty of people do, um, is that that router was, was Cisco. That's what I'm beginning to believe. So you might want to consider like a Cisco router, an enterprise grade router. Um, maybe do a little Googling. I don't know how much they cost. They could be very expensive. And then one final myth, and this one is probably going to rub some people the wrong way. Uh, email management, is, email filters don't matter. I would say email management in general, uh, it doesn't matter, but definitely apparently filters don't save time or increase productivity. And the way I know that is there's a psychology blog that just posts quantitative studies and it's it's uh, by a guy named Eric Barker and he's like in Time Magazine now and he's gotten very big because of his blog and they posted a study that, uh, I don't know how they measured it, but they basically determined that workers that use email filters are no more fast, are no faster in email than workers who do not. And I would even go further as to say, deleting email does not save, t- save time. Here's what you should do is, and it's not always easy to do this, if you get an email that you need to, to remember, make a calendar appointment and then just leave it where it is. Um, make an alarm as to when something's due. Um, basically, I know that if I have clicked an email and read it and if I did not set it to unread, in other words, if there's an email I, need, I know I need to come back to, I either make it a calendar appointment or I set that email to unread until I see it again. Basically, if an email is grayed out, if it's faint gray text, I know I'm done with it. I've processed it. If it's not, I haven't processed it. Now, there's one other thing I recommend, which is this uh, service called SaneBox. And it's automated filtering, and people think they roll their eyes because they've used that. No. This is the best I've ever used. It saved me. I mean, this is like the best productivity hack ever. Basically, SaneBox knows what is important and what is not. Basically, it splits your inbox into two boxes, and you can still use your filters, but it creates a new box called uh, Sane Now and Sane Later. And so I use Sane Now as my primary inbox, but you can still see your old one. And then I use Sane, what it does is, anything that's from like a real person goes in Sane Now. Anything that's not from a real person, like a, a newsletter, or anything you drag to Sane later goes into Sane later. So you can also teach them what needs to be there. And I found that this, there are some friends that send me a lot of emails that I love their emails, but there's just a lot of them. So I, I look at, I put them in a separate folder I regularly check.
So I do still use other filters, but I find that having this two-stage, two-immediate stage system saves me so much time and effort. It's really amazing. So look in the same box, try it. I think you'll become addicted. And again, it'll still work with all your filters. I haven't had problems with conflicts with filters. Anyway, guys, I want to go ahead and wrap up. I hope I debunked a few myths. Again, you're welcome to Google things I'm saying. I'm pretty confident in them. I've, I read a lot about these types of things. I'm also pretty, obviously, passionate about these two particular topics I've talked about today. Um, but I hope you maybe try one of the tips that I had um, as an alternative suggestion. I hope it helps you out. Anyway, uh, I'll get back with you guys on another topic soon. I keep trying to mix it up and keep it fresh for you guys. And um, I'm even working on getting like a decent guest soon. Um, so we'll see when I can line that up. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye.